God is going to accomplish his mission. The question is, is he going to accomplish it through me? Is he going to accomplish it through my church? Welcome to On the Road to No Place Left. This is Feeney, and I'm driving as we learn to share the gospel, make disciples, and reproduce leaders and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard. This is season five, where we're asking the question, what legacy will my church leave? Check out this season's trailer for a full explanation. I love this conversation about how theology and mission are parallel tracks we need to run on as we pursue the lost and desire to see multiplying disciples and churches. This is a new book by J.D. Payne, and he starts out by sharing why he wrote it. Let's jump in. It's, it's not like I'm, I'm writing this saying there's nothing that's out there. Uh, but the why behind this book is because um, of, the, of the literature that I uh, have encountered, a great deal of it is, is very weighty on the academic side. And so, uh, again, while I certainly appreciate that, that work so much, but because of that, I feel like it excludes a great deal of potential readers when you have uh, these very large um, works on mission theology. Mm-hmm. I wanted to write something that would be uh, brief to the point, but would also have substance to it, and that the the busy church leader uh, the the person in the pew, if I could use that expression, uh, the student uh, that is, uh, you know, in his or her first, um, you know, mission class, could could find a, a good introduction to this topic, and so that's that's the why behind um, mm. behind writing this book. You did such a good job. The second half of the book tying back into the Old Testament and how it's not a new mission; it's it's what God's been after. So I don't know if you want to share anything just briefly there about that idea that the mission has been the same throughout mm-hmm. biblical history, world history, we would say. That is a great point that you, that you bring up, brother. Um, where did, where did the, the apostles, um, you know, where did they get this idea uh, of the global tasks that they were engaging in? Well, we could obviously say, well, well, Jesus, of course, you know, oftentimes whenever I'll, I'll ask students to, um, to give me a passage on, or, you know, support for our global task, you know, they'll, they'll jump to Matthew 28, mm-hmm. you know, go and make disciples of all nations, um, which is very important, which is a very significant text. Uh, we have to, we have to acknowledge that uh, there is a, a wealth of biblical support that precedes the New Testament, mm-hmm. precedes the Gospels, precedes Matthew 28. That is the foundation on which that New Testament mission theology, you know, rests. And, mm-hmm. and so often, you know, we, we overlook that. You know, we forget the Matthew 28 connection, for example, to Daniel, where the, the uh, Son of Man uh, encounters the Ancient of Days and receives all authority. You know, and then Jesus says, you know, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. You know, we, we, get to, we get to Acts 1-8, and we say, you know, there's another good biblical support passage for this global task, and it is. But then we get over into chapter two, and there's a significant reason that the apostles are preaching this good news, and it has to do with the fact that the last days have have come, and the Messiah has shown up, and the judgment's the next thing on the calendar. And the question is, well, how do we know that's the case? And it's because of the coming of the Holy Spirit in Pente- at Pentecost, next two. You know, Peter mm-hmm. says, 
you know, Joel said all this was going to happen. And so what, what, what must we now do? You know, repent, you know, mm-hmm. come to come into this kingdom. So much of looking through the book of Acts is supported um, by Old Testament passages related to God's vision for the nations. And oftentimes, Paul and his team will say, the reason we're doing this, or in his epistles, Paul write, the reason that I'm saying this is because of what Isaiah said. Or because of you know what we see in the prophets, and and I think oftentimes uh, on this side of the cross we're very very quick to overlook the Old Testament, and to do that is is a very uh, very um, shameful thing, and it's also detrimental to our global work. Uh, I guess did you have any particular you could use the word surprises or or maybe delights as you were putting this together? Some of the things that I think that stood out to me in this book is just the the the, the notion uh, again of how for example Genesis and Revelation tie together um, you know there's that that notion of these image bearers that have been created in God's image to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and how God desires his image bearers to be glorifying him across planet earth mm-hmm. of course the fall comes but even after Noah comes out of the ark in Genesis chapter nine, that command is still given, be fruitful, multiply, mm-hmm. fill the earth. So, so it's still there. And by the time we get to Genesis 12, there's this notion of, you know, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, make your name great. Um, and through you, all nations will be blessed. And so then we jump all the way to the book of Revelation. And what do we see? You know, we see there in Revelation mm-hmm. chapter seven, that, how it all ties back in. All those nations standing before the throne, you know, praising God. And then what's interesting is we can jump back to, for example, like a Psalm chapter 150, you know, let everything that has breath, you know, praise the Lord. Here's another thing that really just, you know, surprised me throughout this study is, is the number of times throughout the Old Testament, you get these glimpses of God's heart for the nations. You get these, these, um, these insights of how in the prophets you get passages whereby Assyria and Egypt and Israel in the same verse are called my people. And it's like, these are the arch enemies of Israel. You know, God say that there is people. And then you get these passages where you see, you know, the, the Moabites, such as uh, of Ruth, again, enemies of Israel um, coming into the kingdom. You, you, you get this concept of the temple shifting, you know, mm-hmm. the concept of the temple shifting from where you, you stream up to Mount Zion to now we see in the new Testament, you know, you are the, the holy mm. temple of God, because the Holy Spirit in you as believers, and so wherever you go, uh, the temple goes, so mm. to speak, and 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 you basically represent God before the nations. So there are just so many of those things that were just surprising insights to me as I I looked through this text. I will, and one other thing I would say, in the general epistles, that's an area that's ripe for study on this topic. There's not a lot. That is addressed in the general epistles on mission theology. There, there are some things, but compared to many other sections of the of the scriptures, you do not see a great deal. But, um, but that's a field that um, that is really ripe for research right now. There are not a lot of scholars out there that have spent a lot of time talking about mm. mission of God in in the general epistles. But, oh man, I could go on and on and on. But those yeah. are some of the big ones. Seems like theology and mission can sometimes feel like they're running opposite directions. The missions aspect is like, let's just get the gospel everywhere. And, uh, and their theology is saying, hey, we need to be biblically grounded. We need to be strong. 
So why is it important? You, you smashed them together in your title and not only the title, but in the book, why is it important yeah. that we, we have these, um, that we are running together with both um, good theology and looking for the mission of God to the nations? Well, I mean, I just don't, they cannot be separated. I mean, to, to separate these two is, is, a, is problematic for either one. And, and so I think our best theologians should be our best, um, if I can use that classic terminology, I think our best theologians should be our best missionaries. Mm-hmm. Our best missionaries should be our best theologians. And, and that means an, a heavy understanding of both the New Testament and Old Testament, as we've, we kind of already mentioned. Uh, but you're right. I think that what we've seen throughout church history, particularly in the past 200 years in Protestant mission history, that there has almost been um, these two camps. There is the there is the the deep theological camp that rests on you know one side of the uh, the fence, and then there is the uh, the missionary camp that's on the other side of the fence that is more represented by you know pietistic zeal you know, to take mm-hmm. the gospel to the nations and plant churches, and the other side of the fence that's the more theological tends to be more cerebral. Mm-hmm. And and what has happened is that it it's caused a lot of problems. In fact. Um, you know, I know we're talking about theology of mission, but but this is an issue that I bring up in my my other book that just recently released, Apostolic Imagination. It caused a great deal of problems, problems that we're still wrestling with today, when you don't have the theological foundation for our praxis in what we do, and so um, it leads to all kinds of of issues. But but I would say we we've got to move beyond for those of us that uh, that see the nations in need of the gospel, in need of churches. Um, we've got to move beyond just proof texts, because if all we have are proof texts, then that creates a very, very shaky ground on which we stand with our methods and our strategies. And so we need a really robust mission theology for what we do and for why we do it. Now, this is something that is also surprising, and and it goes back to what I just mentioned a moment ago, that in the 20th century or in the 200 years of Protestant missionary history, that we really saw this this you know this dichotomy between the the, the theologians and the missionaries uh, being very stark. When you go back into the 20th century, what we find is that there's this great deal of interest in the topic of mission theology that that the church embraces. Um, prior to that time, uh, throughout 2,000 years of church history, there was not a there was not a great deal of attention given to what we're now calling theology of mission or mission theology or missional theology. Uh, it was really only in about the 20th century. So we're not mm-hmm. even into this thing um, with, with a serious uh, perspective on, on study. We're not even a hundred years, so to speak, into this. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of the reason why we have sort of the separation is because in church history, this has been a fairly recent um, development whereby we're recognizing the problems when these two camps mm-hmm. stay separate from one another. I mean, there are people throughout church history that talked about missions going to the nations. They 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 did some writing on it, but mm-hmm. but there was no consistent, significant you know study discussion on this. And uh, it was really in, in about the 20th century that mm-hmm. we saw the church beginning to say, "Let's talk about this thing called theology of mission." I think that's both me and I think a lot of my listeners are like, we probably would be guilty of maybe we need to dive into the theology more, but we also are like, okay, what do we do with this? So I'd love for you to, that's whether right. it's something from that straight from that section or anything that kind of hits it, like where, where does this land on Monday morning? What is a believer supposed to do? Yeah. And, and I mean, and I'm really glad that you 
you know, you brought that up because that that was a, a significant uh, part of what I wanted to have in this book. And that is a conclusion that would would trend toward the practical. And so the conclusion, you know, is actually titled Reflections and Application for Contemporary Practice. Some of this we've already, you know, kind of already mentioned, and that is the notion of not not separating the New Testament from the Old Testament, that what we get in the New Testament is is not a new religion. It's a continuation of God's, you know, call to the nations. And and what you see Old Testament through New Testament is really this pattern. There's a pattern that exists from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And it and it looks like looks like this. And that is there's someone, and sometimes it begins with God Himself. Someone is sent into the world. They bring a message of of hope, but it's a message of hope through judgment. And that means dying to sin. Uh, or judgment is coming. But if one repents, they can enter into relationship. And through this relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of creation, they can receive his blessings, his, his hesed, his, his loving kindness, if you will. But that calls them to then live according to a kingdom ethic, not according to the world. Hmm. And part of the kingdom ethic then sends them back into the world. And that repeats the process. They take the message of hope through judgment, how to enter into relationship with this God, how to receive his blessings once you're there, and then this kingdom ethic. So what I wanted to say on a practical note was that this thing of practicality of the Great Commission, it, it, it's, it's deeply rooted in the Old Testament. And so recognizing that, I think, is a big, big part of the practical aspect of this book. The other thing that I think is practical about this book that's important for us to keep in mind is that we, we need to rethink this concept of sentness. Mm. Now, what does the Bible mean about this thing that um, that we refer to as being sent into the world? And so, we need to revisit what I would say is the the apostolic nature or the the sentness of the church into the world, and 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 ask questions about well, if if this notion of God's mission is is a significant priority for God, and and we see it rooted in God the Father, embodied in the Son. Uh, empowered by the Spirit, and then is is basically uh, continued through the work of the church. If that is significant enough to run Genesis through Revelation, then we in the present have to ask a practical question, and that is, well, how then should we live, you know, in this world when there are five billion people with no relationship with Christ, and you know, almost four billion never even heard of the name of, of Jesus. So how, you know, how should we live? We got, you know, so many unreached people groups, even here in the United States, you know, the United mm-hmm. States is uh, home to the third largest number of unreached people groups in the world. So how does this notion of the sentness of the church affect the way that we should do life and ministry? And and should it not cause us to give priority to, to some things over other things? And then, of course, you know, just the issue, you know, that you were talking about earlier about the need to make sure we don't keep our theology and practice, you know, separate and the need to to basically have have more than just a proof text for why we do what we do. So so a lot of those things, clearly the book, you know, you know, is is a, is a theology work, a biblical theology. Um, but it it is one that I hope is is bent in the direction of application. Just the weight of the mission of God throughout the biblical uh, narrative, the biblical writings, mm-hmm. just like you said, it's actually weightier than just hanging it all on Matthew 28 or Acts 1-8 to say, well, and those are tied to yeah. what, what we've seen in the past. And, and I think one of the things that that I've noticed over probably the past 
20 years or so, and I'm sure it extends back farther than that, is that I think that among among many missiologists, there is this this deep understanding of of going back into the Old Testament and and seeing how that undergirds our New Testament activities. I mean, so many times I'll, I'll pick up works by missiologists that were written 20, maybe 30 years ago, or maybe even more, and you'll find them, you know, oftentimes starting with God's call of Abraham mm-hmm. there in Genesis chapter 12, which is interesting because um, uh, the cover design on the book, which Lexham did, it just they did an amazing job on the cover design. They actually told me that that is a artist rendition of um, of God uh, and his uh, his calling of Abram, mm. and so so you, you but you see that you see that in a lot of missiological circles, you know, going back to the Old Testament, but I don't think that it's often trickled down, so to speak, mm-hmm. if I can you know use that expression to a lot of people. Uh, when it comes to understanding, our, you know, our task today, um, that that it, the, the concept of this whole Bible approach to the mission of God is in an oftentimes in, is in the academic clouds. But I don't see it. I don't see it down lower on the ground mm-hmm. as it should be. So I'd love for you to just share anything that you feel like would be really good for a, a local pastor um, and a local local traditional church uh, to hear when it comes to this topic. I, I spend a chapter in the book talking about uh, a missional hermeneutic, in other words, a uh, you know an, an approach to in, you know interpreting the scriptures in light of God's mission. That that is a concept. It's nothing new with me. That is a concept that's been growing over the past fifteen twenty years uh, in in the Western world. So there are a lot of other excellent scholars uh, out there, um, people much wiser than I, that have written on this topic. So I would say to pastors, th- it, this is really important that in the process of being Christocentric in our preaching, so, you know, taking people to the cross regardless of what we're teaching, not forcing Jesus into texts, you know, where the text isn't, when he's not there uh, overtly in the text, but when we're taking people to the cross and how all of our preaching, I think, should be Christocentric to some degree, at the same time, we have to recognize that if there was no mission of God, there would be no Christocentric preaching. There would not have been an incarnation. There would not have been an atonement. And, and so I would say, learn to look at your biblical text, not only through the eyes of, of being Christocentric, but at the same time, learn to look at the text through, through the lens of, of God's mission in the world and begin to ask questions about, you know, what, what is the mission of God in this text? How is God working to bring about redemption and the restoration of a broken creation? Uh, whether we're in the book of Esther or whether we're looking at Habakkuk or whether we're in First Corinthians or wherever it may be. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you begin to keep that in mind with being Christocentric at the same time, you will you will begin to, I think, help your people understand a much better hermeneutic when it comes to the biblical text mm-hmm. and then driving us to the application of, okay, if 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 God is so deeply moved and concerned by this, thing that we call mission, then should it not be given priority in our lives? And if so, then how should we then live in the marketplace as we go to work on Monday, as we're in school? And and so I think for pastors, this is a huge issue, and they really need to begin to, to learn to think in a, in a, with an apostolic imagination, if you will. What what should we take, whether we whether somebody sits down to read the book or just even now hearing this concept of God's mission throughout scriptures, what 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 would be the takeaway and something we should do with that as we go into our daily lives? 
You know, I think that the takeaway is is recognizing that the God we serve today is is the same God of the first century. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm-hmm. He's the God of Adam and Eve. Uh, he's the God that um, was there before light, uh, before uh, heaven and earth. That um, that He has always been, and He's sovereign. And yet things are moving to uh, to uh, a termination point as far as time is concerned from our perspective. Mm-hmm. And moving in that direction, um, he is he he is working out his mission in the world through his people today. and and while there are nations, while there are challenges, while there is evil opposition, there are ungodly world systems and nations that will t- attempt to thwart God's mission. Um, we know throughout the Old Testament, we know throughout the New Testament that uh, that he will not be stopped. Mm. Here is something that we need to marry that concept with. And we have to ask that in our own day and in our own time, when I go to work this week, when I'm with my family, when I'm hanging out with friends, when I'm at school, with, when I'm on the on the ball field, wherever I may be, the question is, am, am I locking arms uh, with my creator? Mm. Am I being an image bearer, bringing glory to him wherever he takes me in the world? Because God is going to accomplish his mission. The question is, is he going to accomplish it through me? Is he going to accomplish it through my church? Knowing that we're part of a of a tradition that, that goes back eternity past uh, is something we can take a great deal of delight in and enjoyment in. And knowing that we can be a part of something in our day to fulfill a vision that John saw in Revelation chapter seven around the throne. I mean, that's that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Knowing that that you, me, my church, your church uh, could be a part of of populating the throne room of heaven in our day and age. If you have any comments or questions, head to ontheroad.link. That's ontheroad.link, or you can call or text three two one two zero nine. 3899. You can find a link to the book Theology of Mission by J.D. Payne at that same URL. This is Feeney. Thanks for listening. The On the Road podcast is to encourage you and your church to share the gospel, make disciples, and reproduce leaders and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard.